Paul is pulling from Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 29.49 or Leviticus 26.12, where it finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. For it is through faith in Jesus Christ that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit makes their home in our heart. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I titled this, right from the passage from verse 2, now is the acceptable time. The disciplines of the ministers, verses 6 and the beginning of verse 8, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. Now, verse 8 actually begins to transition to our final point in this section. When he talks about honor and dishonor, evil report and good report, you'll see that clearly in the next section. But Paul here now lists out 11 disciplines that they maintained as ministers of Christ. And we notice that in the list that some of these disciplines, some were inward Some were Godward and some were outward. Some were inward. The inward disciplines, they strive to maintain purity, knowledge, long-suffering, and kindness in their lives. These are inward disciplines that we can all strive to maintain. The Godward disciplines I grouped this way. These things were supplied to them through the power of God, through his Holy Spirit upon their lives. The sincere love that comes through the spirit into our hearts, the word of truth, the power of God, the armor of righteousness. These things are God word. These things that are things that God does for those who believe. The outward things regarding those outward disciplines, when they strive to maintain their Christian conduct, when either honored or dishonored, when either spoken evil against or given a good report, these things come from outside. This is what other people are saying. 
And they could be either believers or unbelievers. They could get you in trouble or they could lift you up. Or by lifting you up, it might get you in trouble. You have to really have wisdom when conducting yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. We have to show ourselves as a pattern to others. And this takes disciplines, godly disciplines. Some of those disciplines come inwardly. It's things that we can do. Others come Godward, things that he supplies us through the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of his word, the power of God working through our lives. And others, they're outward. It's things that other people bring upon us. Our disciplines as believers, they're really not forced upon us as if we'll be punishment. You know, I looked up the word discipline. The first thing it talked about is really discipline and education and punishment if you don't get it right. That's not what's being talked about here. When I say discipline, it is a practice that we maintain voluntarily, a code of training, a code of conduct that we will improve our walk and relationship with Christ and others. And then the delusions connected to God's ministers. This is the one I said you might scratch your head on. I'll explain it. Picking up in verse 8 through 10, again, a new preposition, the preposition as, as deceivers and yet true, as known and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. These final lists, these seven delusions, it's connected to their ministry, but it was really of not how Paul and his ministry team felt about themselves. The delusions came from the outside. It's what people thought of them. People thought they were the unknown. People thought these guys are dying. People thought they're chastened. They're sorrowful. Um, they're poor. They have nothing. This is what was thought of them. And Paul went on to say, yeah, that's what people might think about us. But in reality, we find that as believers, they had a true position in Christ. Though they were believed to be deceivers, they knew that they spoke the truth. Though they were seen as unknown, they knew that they were known by Jesus. Though viewed as dying, they knew that they were alive in Christ. When unbelievers tried to chasten them to death, they were not killed. Did you notice he said, yet not killed? He wasn't saying it's not going to happen. It did for Paul and for many of these that he was writing about. But we're still here. Though they tried to chasten them to death, they were not killed. When seen as sorrowful, they rejoiced in the spirit. When seen as poor in this world, they knew that they were rich in Christ. When looked upon as having nothing, they knew that Christ Jesus, in him they possessed all things. Peter wrote, saying this, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to the praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving in the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. So church, whether by difficulties, disciplines, or delusions, not our delusions, but delusions that's coming from others about us, Paul and his ministry team, just as we should be, we should not want to bring any offense or to be blamed that we would hinder the ministry, the mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so whether by difficulties, disciplines, or delusions, may we always remain faithful to Jesus. And finally, verses 11 through 18, we have this call to holiness. I broke it into three sections. The sections, verses 11 through 13, restricted by your affections. 14 through 16, do not be unequally yoked. 17 and 18, come out and be separate. So the first, a call to holiness, restricted by your affections. O Corinthians, he says, verses 11 through 13. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. He cries out, oh, Corinthians. Do you realize I looked this up? It's easy to do with computers today. This is the only time in the letters of First and Second Corinthians that Paul called them out by name. Yes, in the introduction, he said to the church that meets in Corinth. So he acknowledged them in his opening salutation. But here he says, oh, Corinthians. He's calling them out by name at this point. He's putting emphasis on this by calling out their church's name. In the middle of his letter, he stresses the importance of the words that would follow. When Paul and his ministry team was with them, they said, we didn't hold anything back. We spoke openly. Our hearts were wide open toward you. And this is something that we often see with parents and grandparents who give their all for the sake of their children, their grandchildren. They don't hold anything back. In fact, quite often, parents, grandparents, they kind of live for that next generation, wanting to see them accomplish and do their best for the future generation that is to come. Paul had this parental love to the Corinthians. He called them out by name, O Corinthians! He said, we are not restricting you. We're not holding you back. You guys are being restricted by your own affections. Now, this Greek word for restriction here means to crowd into a narrow space. It means to be constrained or to be reserved, really unable to express yourself. It'd be a sense of it in the New Testament. And Paul and his ministry team, he said, we're not restricting you. We're not the ones doing it. In fact, you are being restricted. You're being constrained by your own affections. That is because they were double-minded. They had, they were attempting to 
have one foot in the realm of Christianity while keeping the other foot in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that we are in this world, but we are as Christians not to be of the world. This word for affections in the Greek, I saw another translation of scripture that uh, translated it as in your hearts. But when you think about the Hebrew and Greek language, and it's the same in either Hebrew or Greek, they took it broader. Today we say that, well, I love you with all my heart. They would say, oh, I love you with all my heart, my lungs, my intestines, my liver, my kidney. They're talking about the seat, and that's how they viewed it, the seat of your emotion, the inward self, not just the heart, but all that is within, that seat, that throne of your emotion. So they took it a little broader. Therefore, Paul calls them to be open just as they had been open to them, to hold nothing back just as they had held nothing back to them. And also, I believe the Lord is calling us to be open, that we also would hold nothing back. And I wonder how often we are guilty of restricting the work of God in our lives by our own affections, affections that really are worldly and not Godward. So he says, be not unequally yoked. A famous passage of scripture, verses 14 through 16, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has believers with unbelievers? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will deliver them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Paul calls the believers of Corinth to not be unequally yoked. And it may give us a clue as to why the Corinthians were being restricted by their own affections. They were unequally yoked. And this, I believe, was because they were trying to live in two different worlds. For those who do not know what a yoke is, we don't see them anymore unless you go to a third world country where they still use oxen or animals to plow their fields. The yoke was the wooden device that was made. Actually, that wooden device was carved to fit the animal of use. So as you would imagine, if you have two oxen, they're not going to be of same size or same strength. They might be close, but the yoke would be cut in such a way that when they pull, they pull evenly and together. And so this yoke was attached to the oxen that they might pull a plow or a cart, that they would be able to plow the field straight or pull the cart straight. Paul may have been pulling from Deuteronomy 22.10, where he said to the Jews, uh, Moses, You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now just envision an ox and a donkey. I mean, a donkey 
They're smaller, right? Much smaller. You might even be able to nudge one and push him if you want. An ox, if he doesn't want to be nudged or pushed, you're not going to have any luck with that. You could push all day. And if he pushes back, you're in trouble. Paul's warning not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers should be followed, I believe, in multiple situations. Often it is given in regards to marriage. But here's my list. I think, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers in dating, in marriage, in business partnerships, in certain clubs or fraternities. Now, we could probably add to this list, but that's a good list to start with. As a pastor, I have warned couples in premarital counseling, especially when I know that one of the pair is not Christian. I've warned this about the hardship that they are going to have because there is a divide within the household. I have to tell you, when a young couple is in love, it's hard to change their minds. So I may have this wrong, but... I take advantage of that situation and I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to that non-believer. I give the opportunity for salvation and I hope I plant a seed. But this is also why I said we should not be unequally yoked in dating because dating, as we know, can lead to marriage. So if you guard it at the level of dating, you may not have to worry about that level of marriage. Guard the person that you give yourself to, your affections. If they are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are like-minded together. You have a better foothold to start life together. Even in the dating situation, you never know where that first date could lead. I tell you this as a young man of 16 years old, First time I kissed Lily, she had me, and she still does to this day. So it can happen quick. So we're to guard this area in our life. It's because of this partnership, but also to prevent hardship and heartaches. In Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father. Please, a man shall leave his father and mother. Man, if you're getting married and still in the house, time to go. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and then they become one flesh. When we yoke ourselves with unbelievers, whether it's dating and marriage and business partnerships, certain clubs, fraternities, we create a mixture that can never become united. It's like oil and water. They just simply will never mix. And to prove this, Paul gives five rhetorical questions. The answers to each of the questions, it's either none or nothing. Unless you get the answer wrong. I'm giving you a a good hint here. In fact, I'm going to read each question and give us a verse of scripture. After I read the question, I want you to answer it. Please answer it right. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Man, let's get excited about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians 5, 6, and 7 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not partake with them. We have 
There is no fellowship with righteousness and lawlessness. The two do not mix. Okay, you guys get another chance. What communion has light with darkness? I love it. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What accord has Christ with Belial? Two was better, but I'll accept it. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 21, rather that the things which are the Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. What part has believers with unbelievers? First <laughs> John 5, 11, 12 says, In this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. And the fifth, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Very good. Over on my left, loved it. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, for you are the temple of the living God. As Christians, we are the temple of the living God. For everyone who receives Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, the Holy Spirit is with in and upon our lives. And as God has said, I will dwell among them. I walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Paul is pulling from Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 29, 49 or Leviticus 26, 12, where it finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. For it is through faith in Jesus Christ that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit makes their home in our hearts. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And as Christians, we are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. If we're not in the world, then we can't be light in the darkness. We are to be the light of Jesus Christ to others. We're to be that testimony, that truth to others, that they might long to know Jesus as well. And finally, verses 17 and 18, come out and be separate. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It is because that righteousness does not have fellowship with lawlessness. It is because light does not have communion with darkness. Christ does not have accord with Belial or the devil or Satan. A believer has no part with an unbeliever. The temple of God has no agreement with idols. The believers are to come out from among the unbelieving world that they might live for Christ. Isaiah fifty-two eleven says, depart, depart. Go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean. 
and you will bear the vessels of the Lord. Well, we are, according to the New Testament, we are the vessels of the Lord. And so this call to go out, to be clean as believers in Jesus Christ, God not only has received us, but he has adopted us as sons and daughters. He says, you shall be called my sons and daughters. First Corinthians 7, 1, we'll pick up on this when we get to it in our next teaching. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Therefore, having these promises, in chapter 7, Paul refers back to the promises that he gives to us here at the end of chapter 6. As the redeemed and the adopted family of God, as the sons and daughters of God, we are to walk as children of the light in the darkness of this world. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no better time to do so than today. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.